Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Interesting, the same water that judged sinners saved Noah. Just like death for some will represent judgment, but for others, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ is the way that God takes us home. That's why we don't die as people who have no hope. That's why we might be afraid of the process of death. Nobody wants you know, these long illnesses. Who can blame anybody for that? But we're not afraid of dying because dying through dying, we come into the presence of our Lord. Pastor Jim brings up an interesting comparison today. For some people, death is going to be an end to everything. It's an end to life, friends, family, social status, and any success that the world offers. For them, there will be nothing to look forward to. For a Christian, however, that same death is simply a beginning to a new life. This new life is full of people, new and familiar, and includes life forevermore in the presence of the perfect and complete picture of love. Jesus, which would you rather have? With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 with part 3 of his message entitled, A Great Victory. You were carrying your Bible and fighting with your kids and your wife and your husband to get to church and, you know, come on, we're going to be late, we're going to be late. And one of them like, we go to Calvary Chapel, everybody's late, right? And so you're late and your neighbors are looking out the window like, look at those crazy people. I mean, just look at them. They're in their pajamas, sipping their coffee, like every Sunday, going out with their Bibles and their kids and going to church. They're just nuts. Or people invite you to parties on Sundays, and you're always late. You're always late because you go to church, and people just think that you're crazy. So that's clear, right? What's also clear? Noah warned people. He was a preacher of righteousness. Noah told people that God was going to come and he was going to judge the unrighteous. What's also clear, God was patient. God allowed the building of an ark during all that time as a period of time in which people would hear Noah speak and be able to think about those things. And who knows who else was around talking about the things that Noah was saying, how the news was traveling and thinking, are we going to believe what Noah believes or are we going to go our own way? What do we also know? At the time of judgment, what happened? Noah fled to the ark to be saved. A picture of what we do. We flee to the cross of Jesus Christ. So the ark is a type of Christ. We flee to the cross of Jesus Christ to be saved from our sins. So when we come to passages like this, it's okay to say we really don't know exactly what it says. It's kind of like we've said this before. It's kind of like a radio signal. And when you're near a radio signal, the closer you are to the tower, the better signal you get. But the further you drive away, you start to get static. And sometimes we're just far away. We don't really understand. And we're faulty receivers of the message. 
There's also other things in our life that maybe make it difficult for us sometimes. If we're just living for ourselves and don't care what God says, it's harder and harder to receive the message of grace as we receive more of a message of conviction that God is telling us we're not living for him. Sometimes our reception's not that good. Uh, Pam and I went to a funeral Friday night. We got in the car, and so we're listening to our radio station. And so we're driving through certain areas, and she's like, you know, every time we come through here in your car, I realize your radio is not near as good as mine. Right? So she has better reception, that's not saying much, than I do, okay? So better reception. It's also like some of you who've listened to our radio station, you say, well, you know, kind of in my area, I'm driving down the street and it's fine, and then all of a sudden it dies out for a little bit, and then it comes back on. I can tell you the reason. You're driving behind a ridge. The radio signal is not able to get over the ridge, but what do you need to do? You need to hang in there, and you know that clarity is eventually going to come. So if you're new to the Bible, even if you say you've been a Christian for many years, but you're new to the Bible, it's important to realize that you might not know that much now. The signal might not be that great now. Hang in there. Clarity will come. We all must be humble and teachable before the word of God. I mean, we do our best to try and get it, but it's so important that we realize that we just might be wrong. We might end up wrong unless we work very hard at what we call hermeneutics, the art and science of biblical interpretation. That's why I'm trying to cover a lot of stuff here and to give you some ideas of how to read the Bible when you don't really understand it because there are so many nuances and some of the words that come from one language to another don't always mean exactly the same thing. For example, a lot of people who read this passage say, well, here's the thing. Jesus was preaching. Noah was preaching. Jesus was preaching. Obviously, he was preaching the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. The only problem with that is Greek word for preaching here is a different word than the preaching of the kingdom. It's a word that more often than not means proclamation, specifically proclamation of a victory. And so it's not that easy to tell. Again, what is this whole section, chapter 3, about? It's about preserving through difficult times like Noah did. He uses Noah as an example. First he tells us like Jesus did, then he gives us a human example, like Noah and Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. And the point here that he's making to his people is this. If God preserved Noah and saved Noah as he lived for the Lord in a godless world, he will do the same for Peter's readers. And he will do the same for us because we are what? Part of Peter's readers. Interesting, the same water that judged sinners saved Noah. Just like death for some will represent judgment, but for others, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ is the way that God takes us home. That's why we don't die as people who have no hope. That's why we might be afraid of the process of death. Nobody wants you know, these long illnesses. Who can blame anybody for that? But we're not afraid of dying because dying, through dying, we come into the presence of our Lord. So this passage is a passage of victory, not for a time of sorrow. Remember when the women went to see Jesus' tomb to anoint the body with spices, and they were like, oh my gosh, someone took him, someone took him. And the angel said, he has risen just as he said. It's no cause to be upset. It's, this is good news And friends, this is something I think Peter wants us to see, that no amount of evil can stop the power of God from saving you. None. 
none, nor can your sin, no matter how great you think it is or how much it is, stop Jesus Christ from forgiving you. Because his grace is always greater than your sin. I believe in a passage like this, the Lord wants us to lift up our eyes from all of our troubles and to see the victorious Christ. To see the ascended Lord who saves. All right, verse 21. You're like, oh, goodness gracious, thank goodness that's over. It doesn't get much easier. Verse 21. There is also an anti-type Some of your versions say there's also something that corresponds. Another version says symbolizes. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Now let's stop right there for a second. That was a soundbite, wasn't it? That was a soundbite. Because if you don't take the whole Bible and you don't look at how he's taught, what he means by the word baptism, you could read that right now. And if you have your idea of what that word baptism means... You just read that what saves you is baptism. Now, I thought eagerly waiting for God saved us. (laughs) Now it's baptism. Are the Bible writers confused? Not at all. Baptism is such an interesting thing. You know how this goes. People who are not Christians at all. They don't believe in God. They don't care about God. But yet they bring their kids to church and have them baptized. Isn't that interesting? It's like they're buying an insurance policy. You know, just in case, man, <laughs> maybe get the kid in. But here we have to remember, first off, the Bible's overall teaching is crystal clear that we are saved because of what Jesus did. We receive it by the grace of God through faith. We also have to remember that these are first century readers, okay? Most of them were Gentiles, non-Jews, converted later in life who were baptized as adults, And so they would be thinking of this word a lot differently, as we'll see in a minute. So he clarifies it. He says, which now saves us. I always think about the process of guys writing the Bible, and they're like, baptism. And then the Holy Spirit going, you better clarify that. (laughs) Not the removal of the filth of the flesh. So he's saying it's not an outward physical act, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. So somehow it's an internal matter of the heart. Another version says this, an appeal to God for a clear conscience. And the appeal to God would be faith. And then he gives us the key to salvation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter, very resurrection conscious, who has gone into heaven, that's the ascension, right? And is at the right hand of God, that is the place of authority, that is equality with God. Remember, that was what the religious leaders, why they gave Jesus the death penalty. You, being a mere man, make yourself out to be God. And Jesus didn't go, you got me all wrong. He didn't say that at all. He's like, yep, yep, that's what I'm doing. Okay, who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers haven't been made subject to him. Now, that's a very interesting terminology if you think about it, because if you think of Jesus as God, the angels and the authorities and the powers have always been subject to him. Now they are subject, before they were subject to the Son from eternity, now they are subject to the God-man. Now they are subject to some, as God put on human clothing. And so he will subject all of these people to his Godness, yes, and his humanity. So again, what's clear? 
Jesus died on the cross. God saved him. God rose him from the dead. And Peter is telling us all that he will save you and I and all of his readers in the same way he saved Noah, through faith. There was faith involved in getting on the boat. Noah realized that that was the way he would be saved. Now it's interesting, here, whatever you think about baptism, here, baptism is compared to floodwaters. Now, what happens if you're submerged underwater? You drown, right? We baptized some people a couple weeks ago, and, and somebody didn't go down all the way. And I was like, oh, no, you're going down, right? And so, so, so they went down. They went down. I'm like, I'm like I'm the, no half baptisms here. You're, you're going down, okay? But coming out is a picture of being saved from God's judgment. The people who didn't get on the boat, the water, they were judged by the water. Okay, the people who got on the boat, okay, were saved. So baptism is not just a picture of new life. It's, we say, often say it's a picture of being cleansed from our sins by the water. Yes, it's symbolic of dying, okay, and coming back out of the grave. But it's also a symbol that a committed follower of Jesus Christ has passed safely through the judgment of God. And that's the way he's using it here. You see, the Bible is one of those books you can take so many of these different things and you can turn it like a diamond. And if you stay within the context of what the Bible says, it can be seen in so many different ways. And that's one of the reasons why we like to study the Bible here verse by verse. So we get a different look, if you will, at God week after week after week. So when a follower of Jesus obeys the command to be baptized, it is a command for a believer in the first century, they would have never dreamed of holding off on it. Like, you know, oh, I don't want to get dunked the way my hair looks when I come out. It all frizzes out or something like that. No, 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 none of that stuff. They would know that's how they make a public declaration to the world that I am now a follower of Jesus. And part of that is a forgiven sinner saying, I now entrust myself to the judgment of God. And friends, let me ask you, if you are a Christian and you have not yet gone to your own funeral of baptism, are you really so sure that you have entrusted the entirety of your life, even the judgment of your soul, to Jesus Christ? Now you say, Pastor Jim, that sounds like legalism to me. Remember the thief on a cross, right? He wasn't baptized. All right, if you're a thief on a cross, you don't have to be either. But for the rest of us, it is a command. Acts 2.38, Peter says, Then Peter said to them, Repent. What is that? That is the evangelistic call to believe. Repent. Stop going your own way. Turn from your own sinful way and turn to God. And then he says this, after the evangelistic call to believe, the command for the believer. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now you read that again and you say, hey, he's saying the same thing here. He is saying that if you're baptized, that's how your sins are taken away. Now, most of you know enough about the Bible. If I asked you this question, if I said, does happily waiting for Jesus save you? No. You'd say no. If I said being baptized, does that save you? You would say no. Baptism doesn't save you. Jesus Christ does. 
Now, here's where all the teachers like this part. I get the emails from the teachers. They're like, I love when you talk like this, Pastor Jim. Okay, in the first century, it's very important to understand this, baptism, which is a command, but it was also um, what we call a metonymy. Now, some of the teachers are like, I know what that means. A metonymy is a figure of speech that takes something small to demonstrate something much larger. Take something small, that's part of it, and make something larger. Let me give you a few examples. Let's say that we had a mutual friend, and you hadn't seen him for a while, and then you said to me, hey, man, I heard about so-and-so that everything completely fell apart. And I would say, yeah, you know what happened? A few bad breaks, and then he hit the bottle. Now, does that mean that he took a bottle out in his back porch, put it up, and started punching it? No, that's not what it means at all. It's a metonymy. It means that that small part of his life, drinking to excess, led to everything else falling apart. And so that's a reference point we use to say that his life fell apart. All right, well, let's just say, you know, we're having a party or something like that, and somebody says to you, hey, why don't you get a head count? Well, why do you count the heads and not the feet? Right? Right? Because the head count gives you an accurate representation. It's one small part. The party's not just based on the heads that are there. It's a party, right? But a head count tells you how many people that were there, whereas if you count the feet, you end up with double the numbers, okay? In America, people said this many times years ago. Less and less people are doing it now because they're finding a lot of people come forward and there's a lot of people who then walk away and think that they became Christians when in fact they didn't. But a lot of times years ago, if you ask someone, you said, well, tell me about your salvation. They would say, I went forward at a Billy Graham crusade. Right? It's just a way of expressing it, okay? Or, or others will say, well, you know, I prayed the prayer. I prayed the prayer. Or, and they only say that 6% of people actually even know when they be, actually the actual moment of when they became a Christian. And I think it's probably even less now because more people, it used to be people would believe and belong to the church. Now people belong to the church and somewhere along the way they end up believing. Sometimes people will say this. You say, well, tell me about how you became a Christian. They go, well, I invited Jesus into my heart. But that's just one small part of a much larger picture that goes on. What really happened? I met this person, I heard the word of God, I went there. I met this person, I heard the word of God, I went there. It's sort of like this kind of chain, long chain link thing, but they tie it to, I invited Jesus into my heart, okay? So what would some people say if you said, well, how do you know you're a Christian? You'd say, I'm eagerly awaiting for his return. We get letters from missionaries in other parts of the world, and what's the first thing they say a lot of them? They said, oh, we went out and preached the gospel. Six people said that they believed, and then we took them down to the river and they were baptized, Why? Because they made a public declaration to the rest of the community that they were now not going to follow the false gods of the community. They were now going to follow Jesus. So if you said to people in the first century, tell me about your coming to faith, they would say, I believed in Jesus and I got baptized. It's a reference point. It's just a way of saying I was converted. I'm now a follower of Jesus. In fact, look at Acts 2.38 again and just throw in the word saved or converted And you'll see how it actually works. Then Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be saved. Let every one of you be converted in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So baptism is just part of the larger whole of becoming a Christian. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus referred to his upcoming death as 
his baptism. As his baptism. He said, are you able to undergo the baptism that I'm able to undergo? And he emerged victorious on Easter morning. Neither the powers of evil or the grave could hold Jesus. And Peter is reminding us that if they couldn't hold Jesus, then they can't hold you and me. Neither one of those things, the powers of evil and the power of the grave will have no hold on us. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, Ephesians 2, 6, that God, Jesus Christ, has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are already there. Remember when we 1 Corinthians, we said, we have it already, but not yet. We are heirs to a kingdom, even though we may not experience all the benefits of that now. So why is judgment so slow? Why did God allow the ark take so long to be built? Verse 20 tells us, divine long-suffering. And if you're here today and you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, do you know that the Lord Jesus has been waiting, long-suffering, waiting for you to come to him and put your trust in him? There's people who in the early 80s had proved all this stuff because of the, you know, the, the age of Israel, that, or in the 80s, the age of Israel, that one generation, 40 years, once they declared their independence, the Lord was going to come back. They all thought he was coming back in 1987. I am so glad for his long suffering because I became a Christian in 1988. And if he was not long suffering, I would have never made it. This is the delay in the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus is waiting for people to see that the flood of death is coming and we need to be rescued. I feel like lately all I do is go to funerals. I've been to so many recently. You know, a lot of us, our parents and our grandparents are getting older. And so you go into funerals. Every one of them reminds me that we need to be rescued. 2 Peter 3.9, the apostle Peter would say, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. Other versions say, he's not slow, but is long-suffering. The idea is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2.4, the apostle Paul says that the Lord desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you might say, well, how do I do it? He tells us right in verse 21, it's the answer of a good conscience towards God. It's an appeal to God for a clear conscience. You simply ask the Lord for the forgiveness of sins. You simply tell the Lord that you have gone your own way. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. That's all of us. And you ask him for the forgiveness of sins. And you ask him for a new heart. And you ask him for a new life. And you say, Lord, cleanse me of my sins, Lord, and make me right with you. The ark didn't save Noah, the Lord did. And like Noah, the Lord Jesus Christ will save all those who put their trust in him. So as we close, just think about this for a second. If you do, well, people are probably going to mock you. People are probably going to think that you're crazy. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 10. He said, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Yeah, they might mock you now. But when you die, 
or if the Lord returns before you die, you will not be put to shame. If you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ, please today remember this. The victory is yours. It is already yours. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm pleading with you. The Apostle Paul said, I plead with people to be reconciled to God. I'm pleading with you to come to Jesus Christ. And if you put your trust in him, he will bring you to God. And his great victory will be your great victory as well. Thank you for listening to Changed by Love, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire here at Changed by Love is simply to bring you the life-changing message of Jesus Christ by teaching you the Bible in a simple, easy-to-follow way. With that being said, we try to put our messages into as many people's hands as possible for a very low cost and often free of charge to anyone who contacts us. Did you know that all of our messages can be found for free on our website, changedbyloveradio.com? That's changedbyloveradio.com. Please check out our website and hit the Contact Us button to tell us something about yourself or to request a CD copy of a message. Here at Changed by Love, we depend on the grace of God as well as the generosity and prayers of our loyal listeners. So thank you to all of you who are prayerfully and financially supporting our program. We would love to hear from you and pray you drop us a card or a letter to Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey. And don't forget to contact our friends at this radio station and tell them you are being blessed by Changed by Love. It would be a great encouragement to them. Thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you'll make plans to join us again next time, right here on this station, for more practical Bible teaching from the book of 1 Peter with Pastor Jim Kevney, passionately proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that needs to hear.